You're listening to audio from Northway Church. For more information about Northway and additional audio resources, please visit northwaychurch.com. Well, church, we, uh, we were originally supposed to be in the book of Jonah. We started Jonah last week. We are going to return to Jonah next week, but we're going to pause this week. We're going to look at something a bit different that I hope can anchor us here in this season that we're in. You know, this has been an incredibly difficult week. It's been a painful week. Um, We got together Thursday night as a church and lamented together over at Park Cities and cried out and pleaded with the Lord. But I tell you, at the same time, we also celebrated because we've seen something so amazing happen this week. Like we, We have just seen so many miracles happen this week in the midst of this devastation. It has been unreal. And I, in my own meditation upon what God is doing, and believe me, he's doing a billion things right now, and I may be aware of three of them. But the ones I'm aware of, it's been shifting my attitude this week from that initial posture so many of us feel when tragedy hits, whether it's a natural disaster or a terminal diagnosis, whatever it may be, the first question so many of us will ask is, why us? And yet, I have just begun to see this week that God chose us for this. You know, in Acts chapter 5, the apostles are imprisoned and persecuted and then beaten, and when they're ultimately Released, Acts 5 says they, the apostles went away rejoicing because they had been counted worthy to suffer. And I thought, you know, that tornado, it, it could have hit any church in that area, and it did hit some for sure, but it could hit any church in the city of Dallas. It could have hit Watermark, it could have hit, but for whatever reason, God allowed that tornado to hit Northway Church. And I believe that God allowed that tornado to hit us for such a time as this, that we might see this particular bride rise up, that we would spend in the midst of this disaster making much of the name of Jesus Christ in a way that the city of Dallas has not seen of Jesus Christ yet. And I think, I believe, I believe God is doing something bigger than we can all see right now. He's mobilizing his church apart from a building. But I know that this adversity is also gonna test us. I know that the enemy would love to have an in right now. And because of that, I want to anchor us in the hope that God gives us in the midst of suffering. Earlier this summer, I preached Psalm 33 to Eastside Community Church as a hypothetical of what a posture might need to be if something catastrophic were to hit them, having no idea that I would be preaching this text as something catastrophic has hit us. So if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to turn with me to Psalm 33. John Maxwell once said that both change and adversity are inevitable, but growth is optional. It's not whether our circumstances will change, but rather when they do, how will we respond to them? In fear or in faith? 
Psalm 33 is gonna give us seven great reminders of where our trust has to lie amidst seasons of uncertainty and change, seasons where the literal foundation is ripped out from underneath you. Psalm 33 is a beautiful psalm. So many psalms that we can run to in times of pain and disaster. But Psalm 33 is an interesting one. It was actually a hymn. Psalm 33 was a hymn that was written for the congregation of the Jews to praise their God. Psalm 33, more or less, is is written for a worship service as the people were gathering at the temple. But you know what's ironic about the background of Psalm 33 when they wrote this hymn as a worship song to sing corporately together? It was when they were surrounded by a foreign army that had besieged Jerusalem and was about to ransack them. Literally, this psalm was written when you had armies surrounding Jerusalem who had cut off all supplies to Jerusalem, leading to an incredible famine and death within the city, ultimate destruction all around them. The threat of their very lives was right in front of them by this foreign army. And what we find, by the way, is that this kind of circumstance was actually not unique for Israel, but happened quite often because in 2 Samuel 11, we're told that battles and sieges happened every spring in Israel when the kings, of, the kings would go out to war, proving that there was never a time in Israel as such thing as national security. There was never a time when they were comfortable and safe. They were always at the doorstep of a threat to their very existence. And so what do the people do when this threat of insecurity faces them, when the very ground upon which they stood began to shift? What do the people do? Well, they gather in the temple courts immediately after the destruction besets them and they sing a hymn of praise to God known as Psalm 33. So let's walk through this. I want you to see seven postures, seven great promises, seven exhortations that Psalm 33 points us to for walking through seasons of uncertainty. And the first thing that the psalmist wants us to see and to know here is that whatever God has or whatever God does not have for us in the days ahead, our posture has got to begin with that of thanksgiving and worship. A call to be worshipful, a call to be thankful. You see this in verses one through three. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of 10 strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. So y'all, here are armies surrounding Jerusalem, breathing down Israel's door. Destruction is upon them. Devastation is threatening them. And God says, bust out the band. Get the harp, get the drums. You, go get the guitar. Get Josh Duncan out here. Let's sing. Let's make a new song unto the Lord right now. You're going, What? That's crazy, why? Why would you do that? Is it because your circumstances are worthy of praise? No, it's because your God is. 
Even though our circumstances may have changed in an instant last Sunday night, our God has not changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is who our God is. And so even though our circumstances may have changed, we can worship God because he has not. And and again, you, you see this, verse four and five, for the word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. He is upright. He is faithful. He is just. He is steadfast in his love towards his people, immovable in his kindness towards us, even when the world around us is falling apart. So rather than running to fear, run to faith here. Rather than running to panic, run to praise, the psalmist is saying. Rather than running to anxiety, run to awe of who God is. Rather than running to worry, run to worship. Rather than running to the the treason of God in this circumstance, run with thanksgiving to God. Because he is worthy even when your circumstances are not. Even when we have no idea of what lies in front of us. And I know that we have some guests among us today that are not a part of our church, but you're here because you've been in the devastation as well. Your homes have been crushed. Your family has been displaced. And we find ourselves all in this together. I'm so glad you're here with us because we want to be with you right now. But again, our hope in the midst of this devastation, even when there is, we have no idea of what the path forward is going to look like for all of us, even though, again, many of us are facing really insurmountable physical barriers right now and difficulties, we can know this, though, that even on our most bitter of days, In Jesus Christ, we have already received more than we deserve and not a thing less than what we truly need. He is everything for us. He is the foundation that cannot be shaken. Our God is infinitely good and faithful to us, no matter what may come, no matter what may be taken away. And he is worthy, therefore, of our praise, our exaltation towards him. We may not be, as Christians, the most wealthy people in the city of Dallas. We may not be the most comfortable people in the city of Dallas. We may not be the most desirable people in the city of Dallas, but we dang sure better be the most thankful people in the city of Dallas because of our God and what he's done for us. And you say, oh, but how can we rest in that kind of posture when the literal walls or the literal roof is coming down around us? That is because secondly, we see here, in addition to a call to be thankful, the reason we can is because the Lord is sovereign over everything. You see this in verses six through nine. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth Fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. You get the idea that the psalmist here is reading Genesis 1. As he's writing out this psalm, he's reflecting on the idea that our God 
is the one who created the whole world. Everything around us, both visible and invisible, was made by just the word of the mouth of God. And thus he concludes, if our God has done that, then there is not a single molecule or a single event that he is not sovereignly in control of, including tornadoes. So as a result, we can joyfully lay down the control in our own lives and rest in his sovereign plan. The God who made everything is the same God who can sustain everything, even when it falls apart. And we can rest in him as the one who has the power to rescue and redeem and provide as he sees fit. Colossians 1.17, Paul reminds us, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Psalm 29.10 reminds us, the Lord sits enthroned over the flood The Lord is enthroned as king forever. There is nothing that he is not sovereignly in control of. He's got us. We can trust him. And because he is sovereign, the psalmist now points out thirdly that nothing can thwart his plans. Look at this in verse 10 and following. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people whom he has chosen as his heritage. So the armies can conspire. The enemies can threaten. The tornadoes can come barreling down through the city. But because God is good and because God is sovereign, nothing can thwart the plans of God. Not even a broken building right now. It may seem like the enemy's winning in the moment, but again, you're only looking at 15 minutes of a two-hour film here in which God is both the writer, the director, and the producer, and he gets to tell how this thing ends, and he's not done yet. He promises he has the ability to use horrific circumstances that we face to bring about a glorious end that leads to our good and to his glory. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter one, verses 11 and 12, in him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. Everything he works out in accordance to his will that leads to our praise of his glory. That is who God is. That's what he's doing. Even Isaiah 59 told us that the arms of the Lord, they're not too short to save. You hold on because our God has got you. He's got us. And should we somehow think that we're the only ones whom God has somehow forgotten about in the midst of this tragedy and overlooked in all his affairs, understand fourthly here, the psalmist tells us that God sees everything. Look at verse 13 and following. The Lord looks down from heaven. 
He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes their deeds. He knows right where we're at right now. Do you know that? He knows every need that we have, both as individuals and as a church right now. He can see the pain of the oppressed and the affliction of the oppressor that nobody else can see right now. God can see it. He hasn't forgotten about us. He has not forsaken his promises. You remember the words of David to his son Solomon at the dedication of the temple. This was also quoted in Haggai as well when we were going through that a few weeks ago. David says this, 1 Chronicles 28, 20, be strong and courageous and do it. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed for the Lord God, even my God is with you and he will not leave you or forsake you until all the work of the service of the house of the Lord is finished. God has called us to a work. He has not abandoned it. And when I preached to Haggai, I said we weren't building a building. Gosh, everything just got flipped around just a little bit since then. The building will get rebuilt, but that's not the work we've been called to primarily. It has been the work of the mission of God to go make disciples in the city of Dallas and under the ends of the earth that would bring more worshipers in to the glory of God's name. That is the work that we've been called to. That work has not stopped. That work will not take another year, year and a half for us to get back into. It's alive right now. And he is still with us. He has not forsaken us. He sees everything that's going on. Nothing has escaped his eye. Nothing is apart from his plan. And his presence is with us. And so because of all of that, the psalmist says, fifthly here in 16 and 17, let me tell you, here's where your deliverance is not going to come from. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation and by its great might, it cannot rescue. Remember, the psalmist is saying this while there is literally a threatening army right around them in Jerusalem. And he reminds them that their hope is not found in their army. Imagine how hard that would be to receive. Think how many Jewish avengers were in there right then, ready to go to war. Chomping at the bit to unleash the fury of their chariots and their bows and arrows at the enemy. And yet, the psalmist says, our hope is not there. Remember, Paul said the same thing in the New Testament, in Ephesians 6, when he talked about that our, our ultimate battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against physical circumstances. There is a spiritual battle that is being waged against our souls and our church in the city of Dallas in this moment that is greater than even the chariot riders that we see coming at us. Therefore, a spiritual enemy, according to the psalmist and according to Paul, a spiritual enemy cannot be met by a mere physical solution. There are some situations we're going to find ourselves in that there is no creative strategic plan 
that can deliver us from. There's no innovative marketing campaign that can help us out of this jam. There's no gifting, no personality, no pill, no weapon, no money, and no building that is ultimately gonna be our deliverer. Those things may promise deliverance, but ultimately they are a false hope of salvation. No, don't hear me wrong. We are gonna plan, we are gonna build, we're gonna innovate, we're gonna prepare. We just can't put our hope in those things. Those things alone will not bring about the ultimate rescue that our heart and our mind and our soul needs right now in this moment. No, instead, sixthly, the psalmist will tell us, here's where our deliverance does come from. Verse 18 and 19. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those whose hope is stead, is in his steadfast love that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. It is our God who is our deliverer and who has the soul sufficiency for what we need in our times of trouble. It is in him who wills and provides for the needs of the saints that we will put our trust in in this season. Believe me, y'all, I can struggle right now as an ultimate pragmatist. There is something deep within me right now that knows we have a problem and I wanna fix it. I want to find a way that we can just quickly secure our insurance, raise a bunch of money. I don't want to burden Watermark or any other churches or facilities longer than we have to. I don't want to displace our people any longer than I want us to be displaced. I want to relieve the tension. I want to fix this problem. And I have fears too. I've got my own carnal man-centered fears right now. I do fear probably deep within, if I'm honest, that God, if this goes on too long, are going to, people going to quit coming? Because what they really want is a building. Are people gonna quit giving because they don't have the consumeristic needs that are being met for them right now? And so God, do we need to hurry up and fix this and get this physical problem put back together? I, I fear that and I confess that because I have an idol of control within me. I don't like it when I'm not in control. I don't like it when things are beyond what I have an ability to be able to fix, but we can't miss it, what God is wanting to do in this. It's the same problem with the feeding of the 5,000. The goal of the feeding of the 5,000 wasn't so that the disciples could figure out how slick they were and how many great resources they had to go feed all these people. The point was that they would look out and go, we can't do this. This is a work that only God can do. And we must do what we cannot do with what we do not have by bringing the nothing that we have to God so he can multiply it beyond our wildest dreams so that the gospel of Jesus Christ can advance. We can't miss what God is wanting to do here. This, this is a gift God has given us, y'all. Now, I can't wait for that building to get rebuilt as much as you do, but let me tell you, there is a gift that is being given to us right now, even though it may be wrapped in a harsh package because it is teaching us dependence right now. It is teaching us to trust, it is teaching us to pray, and it is teaching us that the church really isn't a building. It's teaching us that we are meant to be a people who are on mission for God. And y'all, do you understand the gift of what's happening right now? I mean, everybody's talking about it right now. Look at the church, look how mobilized they are. This is how we should be all the time. And yes and amen to that. But do you know what's so beautiful about this? It isn't just the church that's scrambling. It's the way God has prepared the community to receive it. 
Because even if we were this nimble and this motivated and this missional right now, it doesn't mean the hearts of the community would be open to it. But right now, they are open. And we've been given an open invitation to go in and share the good news of Jesus Christ. There are some of you here today with us at Northway Church, and you would have never come before because of a flyer that was sent to your door or because we went and sang Christmas carols and annoyed you at Christmas. You would have never come, but you're here now. Because suffering has a way of leveling the playing field that shows us our need, that we are not God and we are not going to be on this earth forever. And there's just, in an instant, our lives can change. And deep within us, we are hardwired to long for the only thing that can satisfy and that is God himself. And he's allowed this harsh thing to happen so that we would be drawn near to him in faith and trust. Church, we got to understand before we turn to brick and mortar, we have got to turn to the Lord. We must be a spirit-dependent people. We, we have to be careful about putting our hope right now into false saviors. The scripture is full of stories of God's people put in impossible situations, not so that they would try to figure out how strong and clever they are to work their way out of a jam, but to realize how weak they are and in need of God's strength, so that when we call upon him for his sufficiency and he delivers us, then he gets all the glory. So Northway, let's remember the psalmist's plea here. We're not to put our trust in the perceived strength of our chariots. We are to put our trust in God the Father through the finished work of God the Son by the power supplied to us by God the Spirit. Humble, dependent prayer in this season by our church will be the clearest evidence that we believe, verse 18 and 19. The absence of prayer in the life of our church in this season will most assuredly be the evidence that our presence, that there is the presence of pride in our own chariots. The question that remains though is what do we do in the meantime? Until God delivers us from the perceived threats around us. What do we do in the meantime? And seventhly and finally, you see here in the Psalm, in verse 20 and following, this is our response. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. What do we do in the meantime, Northway Church? We wait, we hope, we trust. As we work to rebuild and as we seek to serve and fulfill the mission of Christ in our city, we wait and we hope and we trust. Do you see why this psalm is here? And I think for us, for such a time as this, as we find ourselves in unsettled circumstances, in the moments of shifting sand where it feels like the whole world around us has crumbled and all semblance of normalcy has literally been stripped away. We are to be a people who worship in thankfulness because the Lord is sovereign. Nothing will thwart his plans. He sees us right where we are. So we are not to put our trust in our human systems, but we are instead to put our trust in God and patiently and joyfully wait and hope as he works out his perfect plan among us. Amen? This is what holds us together. Now here's what I'd love for us to do as we've done every week as Northway Church. We wanna remember 
the glue that holds our church together and it is the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. If you're a member that's helping with communion, I'd love for you to go ahead and head back, grab the elements, make it to your station there. If you're a guest with us or maybe you're here and you wouldn't identify as a Christian, every week we take part in a sacred and symbolic meal known as communion. Jesus Christ instituted taking the Passover meal that the Jews had celebrated for years and instituted it as a way for us to remember what that Passover meal was, Passover meal was actually always about. It's about God's way of delivering his people from the bondage of sin through his substitutionary offering of his son, Jesus Christ. If you are not a Christian in here or your guest, we'd just ask you to hold off on this meal so it wouldn't lose its meaning with you, but instead we just, one, so grateful you're here, but would ask you to instead consider the person and work of Jesus Christ that your hearts might be drawn in faith unto him. But for the church, this becomes an incredible opportunity for us to celebrate together. You know, I had one former member of Northway reach out this week, said something so beautiful, so profound, said, you know, when a building is destroyed, all that is really needed for Christ-centered worship is a table, some bread, a cup, and a people who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And y'all, we have that. And so we remember the night that Christ was betrayed when he shared in that meal and he held up the bread and he said, this bread is my body. It's broken for you. It's a reminder that sin brings about death Sin brings about eternal alienation from God. Sin brings about affliction. And yet Christ came to be that substitute for us. He came to take that death for us. And then Christ held up the cup and said, this cup represents my blood, the blood of a new covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. And we are to drink in remembrance of him, reminding ourselves that it is not our works that have saved us. It is not our merit that has earned us favor with God and brought us back into relationship with God, it is the work of Christ alone that we rest in. His shed blood on that cross, which has covered our sin as atoned for us, has washed our sins as far as the east is from the west to the deepest parts of the sea, he has cast it. And we have been forgiven. So as a church, we are to remember him, not our own selves. And so, what a great opportunity in the midst of this devastation, Northway Church, for us to come to the proverbial table, to take of the bread and of the cup and be reminded of the sacrifice of Jesus that has, is, and forever will hold us together. You know, I find it interesting when you used to Google Northway Church or the village Dallas Northway before, the thing that would always come up is pictures of our sanctuary. People would always comment, man, that sanctuary, that church, they've got such a beautiful sanctuary. But no, 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 we have got to remind ourselves right now in communion, the best thing about our church never was our sanctuary. It is our Savior. And it's in Him that we will remember. I'm gonna pray for us. And as you feel led, here's how we're gonna roll. It's gonna be real messy this week. I'm gonna let you know this, okay? 
We're doing intinction, we're not passing, so we're gonna come and we're gonna dip. We're gonna do this orderly. We've got ushers who are gonna help you. Essentially, everybody's gonna head out one direction as the ushers tell you, and you're gonna circle basically your whole section as you take the elements and then return back to your seat. And it's gonna be messy. You're gonna have people getting up in front of you. You're gonna have people butting into you. Can I tell you what? That's the beauty. It's not that we've just been saved from something or saved for something, but we've also been saved into something, a church, the bride of Jesus Christ. And this will be a beautiful visual reminder that we are in this together by the blood of Christ. Amen? So let's pray. You'll be dismissed. Follow your ushers. and We'll observe communion together. Father, thank you. Thank you for the reminder in this season of tragedy and devastation with all the lament that we have cried out in this past week, the sheer carnage and devastation that's all around us, that we can be reminded that you are still on the throne. You are still building your church. You are still bringing together a people who have been redeemed and saved and forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. We remember now his broken body, his shed blood. May this be the the highest of all of our affections, that even in the midst of ashes of pain, we can be reminded there is one who's gone before us. There is one who's suffered before us with the hope of all eternity that waits in front of us because of him. So we thank you and we praise you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.